Welcome to GBMA Education's Biosimilar podcast series. Since 2006, more than 700 million patient days of exposure to more than 20 biosimilar medicines have been recorded worldwide. In Australia, biosimilar medicines have been used since 2010, with data on the safe clinical use growing month by month. In this, the fourth episode in a series of 12 podcasts, Professor John Zalkberg, medical oncologist, will share his thoughts about biosimilar medicines and their potential benefits for future oncological treatment access. Welcome, Professor Zalkberg, and thank you for participating in GBMA Education's Biosimilar podcast. Professor, when did you first use a biosimilar medicine? So biosimilars have been used in Australia for a number of years, um, mainly as supportive care drugs, though. So as an oncologist, the opportunity to use biosimilars is still a work in progress, shall we say. So the biosimilars are coming through and we will use them and I think we'll take advantage of the many things that biosimilars will offer us in the future. But so far, my main use has been as, uh, um, uh, as drugs used in supportive care. What concerns have you encountered with biosimilar medicines? I think doctors who haven't used biosimilars before may may have some initial concerns. And those concerns, I think, would fall into three main categories. The first is, will the drug work? I think the second will be, is the drug as safe as the product that I've been using year after year? And the third is, are the regulatory processes really robust enough to make me comfortable that I'm not somehow exposing the patient or myself or the institution that I work in to, ad- to risk that is uh, unwarranted? Have you noticed any difference in outcomes between the biosimilar and the reference product? The the question of differences in outcomes is a complex one, um, which I think um, is probably going to be pretty difficult to answer until we get a a broad community-wide experience. So the reality is that with any drug that we use, whether it's a biosimilar, it's a um, reference product, it's a monoclonal, it's a chemotherapy drug, There's data that you get out of the literature and clinical trials are done and they demonstrate a certain impact and a certain safety profile. And then you use it in your own experience. And sometimes you get good results and sometimes you don't get good results. I think it's really difficult to extrapolate from those experiences to the whole class of drugs and say this is a good drug or a bad drug. But in general terms, uh, the biosimilars, as I say, in oncology, the supportive care drugs have... Uh, been used for exactly that purpose to use for as a GCSF uh, analog, if you like, and um, and so in that regard, uh, there hasn't really been major safety issues, and the benefits have been what we expected, which is an increase in neutrophil count and so forth. Can you outline the differences in clinical trial programs between the reference and the biosimilar medicine? The process of bringing a biosimilar to market is uh, somewhat different from the process of developing a reference biologic. So a reference biologic would start with exactly the same pathway as any new drug. It would go through preclinical development, formulation, toxicology, clinical development and very large randomised trials to demonstrate that it was better than whatever the existing treatments were. In the case of a biosimilar um, it's sometimes drawn as a sort of tri- a triangle with the, uh, with the most of the work is actually in about demonstrating that what you have is a molecule that is, has the same amino acid sequence, has the same post-glycosylation folding patterns, for example. So in other words, that the molecule looks and behaves like the reference product. There are no clinically meaningful differences. and We keep using that term in the biosimilar world, but I think it is an important term. 
no clinically meaningful difference between the reference product and the drug that you're about to use, which is called a biosimilar. So if it's about, if the activity of the reference product is about inhibiting HER2, then the biosimilar is expected to inhibit HER2. And the trials that have been done to bring this to market essentially are trials that demonstrate that this biosimilar is no different to the reference product. Can you comment on your thoughts about switching from a reference brand to a biosimilar medicine? So the issue of um, switching from one biosimilar to, from a reference product to a biosimilar uh, often comes up in these discussions with clinicians. Uh, there's some concern about the risks of doing so. Um, I think, uh, you know, notwithstanding that there is limited experience with the uh, oncologic products in Australia so far, and even around the world, although in Europe the, these drugs have been available for a lot longer as anti-tumour drugs, as, as biosimilars, uh, notwithstanding that, I, I think if there is truly the level of um, rigour that the regulation of biosimilars requires, and when I say if there is, there, there is, I have no doubt that... I've no doubt that the level of regulation is sufficient to ensure that there are no clinically meaningful differences between the biosimilar and the reference product. Given that to be the case, I wouldn't have a particular problem with switching. I, I do think the patient has to agree to that. Um, like I said, I think biosimilars have many advantages that are going to benefit both individual patients as well as the community more broadly. And it's that issue, I think, that behoves all of us to say we've got to do our best to try and introduce this class of molecules or, we, or the community misses out. Are there any differences in immunogenicity between a biosimilar and a biological medicine? So the issue around immunogenicity is, is, is a difficult one to address, um, in part because it's always been uncertain to what extent the immunogenicity of monoclonal antibodies, for example, which make up the standard biosimilar, uh, to what extent does the immunogenicity contribute to the action of the drug as an anti-tumor drug versus the fact that the drug or the reference product targets a particular antigen or a particular biomarker? And I think in the absence of knowing that, the changes in immunogenicity which may occur through the manufacture of a biosimilar are such that whilst I suspect they may well be some differences, I don't know how meaningful they're, they're going to be. And to the extent that it alters the safety profile, I don't think we've seen any evidence of that. So some people argue the immunogen... It has been argued that the immunogenicity issue is an important part of the action of that molecule. Um, and a change in that is somehow... is harder to measure, harder to understand what the change is, to what extent is one molecule more immunogenetic than another. Um, but as I say... The, the evidence that that immunogenicity is important in the overall net effect on a patient is fairly minimal, I believe. Aren't we just being asked to prescribe a biosimilar medicine due to purely economic reasons? The, the issue of whether the driver for biosimilars is an economic one is one that people seem to be quite preoccupied with. In, um, and I, I find that quite surprising, actually. So. As clinicians, we often find ourselves at odds with various regulator and health technology assessment bodies about the fact that they don't regulate, they don't approve drugs because of the cost. So cost comes into what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So here's a drug or a class of drugs 
which promises to cost the system more broadly less than what the status quo does. I don't actually see what's wrong with that. Um, for me, the driver isn't about the economics, but it is an advantage that we should uh, realise and, and uh, I, I think, not be ashamed of. But I, I think more importantly is that more patients who would benefit from these types of drugs will receive them. And in the end, we'll have particularly patients with rare and less common cancers find the opportunity, find that we now have opportunities to use these drugs in those people where we never did before. That will be a direct outcome of, a, of differences in the economics. So let's not apologise for the economics. And if someone gives you a gift, I learned a long time ago, you just say thank you. And let's take advantage of what we can do now that we've got that gift in hand. What are your thoughts about biosimilar medicine pharmacovigilance? The, the issue of pharmacovigilance comes up in the discussion of biosimilars. And I think it's an important issue because until we actually understand the real impact of new drugs, whatever they are, biosimilars, but indeed any drug, in a broader population than, than the trial data that leads to those drugs being approved, uh, I think we do ourselves a disservice. And from my perspective, if you're going to be a regulator, the regulator's not role is not just to approve a drug. The regulator's draw, role is to regulate. And for me, that means you have to know what the outcomes are. So if you don't know the outcomes in any systematic way, how do you regulate? So let me be a bit more, um, less obscure. So we, do, we approve a drug on the basis of 100 patients or 1,000 patients. And then it gets onto the market and then we treat 5,000 patients or 50,000 patients. So we know what the outcomes were in the very carefully selected 1,000 patient trial and they've all got good renal kidney function and good liver function and good cardiac function and they've provided informed consent and so forth. They've got no chronic infections, they don't have... Uh, you know, they're very healthy people in general, apart from having cancer, but they're nevertheless healthy by way of background. And, um, and then we've got some data. We've got safety and we've got benefits and we approve a drug. But then we release it into a much larger market where people have all of those things. Some of them have got abnormal liver function tests. Some of them drink alcohol and have, um, and, uh, have abnormal normal liver function or cardiac function. Some will have diabetes. Uh, the, the community more broadly that is the recipient of these new drugs is different to the trial community. The side effects and benefits may well be different, but we don't know. And so for me, the pharmacovigilance aspect of the regulator's role is a really important one. It's not a simple one, though, and I understand that to say that as an implied criticism is to simplify the complexity of actually understanding what's happening in the real world. But we have to know what's happening in the real world or else we are kidding ourselves that we're actually approving drugs that are safe and effective. They're safe and effective in the trials that are done that demonstrate safety and effectiveness, but they're not safe and effective in the real world because we don't know. 
How do you describe what a biosimilar medicine is to a patient? When talking to a patient about biosimilars, I think the, the critical thing to say is that these are biologic uh, drugs, so drugs developed out of living systems, out of cells in test tubes and so forth. So these are biologic products of uh, cell manufacturing systems which produce drugs that are almost identical, as best as we can tell, uh, almost identical to the reference products, and that when tested, there's no clinically meaningful difference between the biosimilar that we wish to use and the reference products that was developed some years ago and is now outside of its pattern life. What information would you give a patient when you prescribe a biosimilar medicine? And look, I think the nature of any patient-doctor interaction is one of mutual respect. I, I, and I, I think the fact that you're prescribing a biosimilar is no different to prescribing the reference product. The patients need, to the extent that they wish to understand, the uh, insight into the range of benefits, the range of, uh, the range of side effects, uh, what they might expect, uh, the logistics of management. There's you know, a range of things to think about. And... I think whether you're prescribing a biosimilar or a reference product, I don't see that there's really much difference. You know, biosimilars are not the same as generics, and I think that's been stated many times, and um, I, I accept that as a, as a sort of way that we need to think about biosimilars. But on the other hand, uh, when I'm prescribing a generic drug deliberately, I'll tell people that I'm prescribing a generic drug. I don't see that as an apology or anything else. I just say that uh, this hospital is now using a generic version of drug X. Um, we don't understand there to be any difference with the original version and we are using this routinely because it costs less uh, or the other one's not available, whatever the explanation is. Biosimilars are different to generic products. Uh, I certainly accept that, but I think we will explain to people what it is that we're wanting to do, why we want to do it, what the side effects are, what the benefits are, uh, and listen to any problems as they occur. What are your thoughts about the potential opportunities for biosimilar medicines in oncology? Yes, yeah, so I think one of the things that biosimilars offers our community, I think why, and a reason why I think I'd like, I'd like to hope that our community, the oncology community or haematology oncology would embrace the concept of biosimilars is that where, where biologics have been available, they've often been available in very limited range of indications. And that relates to a variety of factors. So key registration studies that were done by the company bringing the reference biologic forward. So that had to be strategically thought through, what is the right trial in what group of patients that will allow us to bring this product to market? And once that occurs, there are sometimes other studies that are done. But what you might imagine is in rare tumour types or less common tumour types or diseases in which it, a company would struggle to actually run a clinical trial program, those trials are not done. So now there's an opportunity for us as clinicians to say, actually, there's a whole range of other indications that uh, this drug may have a role to play. The reference company never explored them for whatever reason. I don't say that in any pejorative sense, but rather just say that's the reality. But here is an opportunity to extend the indication. So these are new indications for which there are perhaps not even any knowledge about the reference product, but it gives us an opportunity to explore those. What do you see as the future role for biosimilar medicines in Australia? 
From my perspective, the benefits of using biosimilars will be that there'll be greater uptake of biosimilars in indications for which the reference products are already approved. So that's the first benefit. The second is that we'll be able to use them in other indications where the biomarker is relevant and because the cost is less. And the third is that we'll be able to think about using these drugs in the rare and less common cancers with a relevant biomarker. I think, and that's all within an envelope in which the cost of this sector of the market is going to fall and hopefully allow us to use not only biosimilars but other new drugs as they come through. What would you say to your colleagues who have not yet used a biosimilar medicine? I think all of us are going to uh, initially be a bit hesitant, like any new drug that you haven't used. But I think we can be reassured by the development pathway that biosimilars go through. And I think if we keep saying to ourselves, and this will be the same for me as it will be for all of my colleagues, that the regulator is convinced, and we should be convinced, that there are no clinically meaningful differences between the product we're about to prescribe and the reference product we've used year on year. And in that sense, we are not harming our patients, and indeed, we may well advantage them as more and more of them will receive these drugs than ever before. Thank you, Professor John Zalkberg, for joining us. We appreciate your time. For those listening online, the next podcast in our series by GBMA Education will be with Professor Rodney Sinclair, who will provide insights into biosimilar medicines in dermatology. If you'd like to know more about biosimilar medicines in Australia, please visit the Biosimilar Hub at www.biosimilarhub.com.au.